Yeah, amen. We're going to stay on the healing track tonight. You Really, you need to stay on the healing track like every minute or every day, every hour, every second, right? Because it's a promise. Amen? Well, before we get really started, I want you to think about something real quick. I was thinking about something. And uh, so I kind of want to think about like these lights, the lights in this room. Everybody look up and see the lights. The lights are on. When you were a kid, when you were a little child, you learned how to turn on a light switch, right? I mean, like some of us could barely walk and we would, you know, we found that light switch and that was a toy, right? Turn the light on. Now, nobody told you about electricity, right? Nobody told you how circuits work or voltages When you were three years old, you had no idea about hydroelectric power, did you? You didn't know anything about even the switch, the mechanism, the wiring, the things that made that light come on. All you knew and all you cared about was that when you flipped that switch, the light came on, right? You didn't care about the rest. All you knew is flip the switch, the light comes on. And the reason that you knew it was one of two things. Either mama told you that's the way it worked, because everybody trusts mama, right? Someone someone you trust told you, or you saw somebody else do it, and you just did what they did, right? One of two things. Someone told you that you trust, or you saw someone else do it, and you did it. Okay? And so... Regardless, you believed it, and so you played with that light on, off, on, off, right? Because you knew it was going to come on, all right? And so even today, you have learned a little bit more about electricity. You know a lot more than you did when you were three years old about the way electricity works, right? Some of us have even studied a little bit more about hydroelectric power and where, how electricity flows and all that kind of stuff. We know a good bit more than we did when we were little, right? But every time you flip the switch on, are you thinking about all that? When you go into a dark room and you reach for the switch, do you go, okay, wait now. I know when I flip this switch, you know, this electricity comes from Lake Martin Dam and it flows through a substation and and it comes through. No, you're not thinking about all that, are you? No, you just turn the switch and it comes on. Even though you know now, you still, you just turn it on, it comes on. That's something similar to what we call childlike faith. Okay? Childlike faith, that term is not in the Bible, but it is represented in the Bible. To take God at His word, right? To trust Him just because He said so. Amen? And to be childlike in your faith doesn't mean you have to stay ignorant. Think about a child that's learning. They ask a lot of questions, don't they? Why, 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 why? Because they want to learn. They want to know. They want to grow. They they are very trusting in the things that you tell them. But they're full of hopes and dreams and, and nothing is impossible to them. You get that? And so it got me thinking about that. Why have we made healing so complicated? Why have we made it so complicated? 
Why is it that we can't just receive it just like flipping on a switch? Why do we have to study it and dissect it and tear it apart and find out every detail before we'll believe that it's true? Okay? We act like we've got to get every detail figured out before we're going to believe it. And, you know, real faith is believing what God said is true just because He said it. And then, so believing, and then renewing your mind to the why. Believe it, and then, don't stay ignorant about it, but believe, and then renew your mind to why. It's the same with salvation. How many of you, somebody presented the gospel to you, and you said, wait a minute now, you know, I'm going to have to study this whole thing out and learn every detail before I can, you know, ask Jesus into my heart. Because Nick says yes. And some of us are analytical that way. But faith believes and then finds out the details. Okay? Salvation and healing and provision. Everybody say salvation. Healing and provision. All come in the same benefit package. Okay? And so if we believe for salvation like a child, because Jesus said so, why are we made in healing so complicated? All right? And so that's where we've been for these past few weeks is, is I want you guys to be at a place where you believe that healing is for you. And now we're working out the details. So I hope that's where you are. Tonight I'm going to share with you some methods of healing. I've been promising you that I was going to do that, right? Some methods of healing. But before we do that now... How many of you believe that Jesus has already provided your healing? You got to get, before we can go any farther, you got to have that. You got to know the promise. Jesus has provided your, he, your healing already. Okay? How many of you know it's God's will for everyone to be healed? It's God's will. How many of you know that God is not withholding healing from you? You got to know that. Okay, it doesn't do you any good to know the rest if you think that it's not yours, it's not God's will, and, and it's not already provided to you. You got to have that up front. Okay? That's part of that childlike faith. All right? So, I'm going to show you several ways that God can respond to your faith for healing. Well, what did I just say? What's the key part of what I just said? Respond to your faith. I'm going to show you how God can respond to your faith for healing. I said faith. I said that big word again, that that tiny little big word, faith. Okay? Because all of these methods that I'm about to show you require your faith. Except for one. Except for one. I'll tell you in a few minutes, okay? Your faith is involved. And then acting on that faith is of utmost importance, okay? So acting on your faith, don't forget that part. You've got to have faith and you've got to act on your faith, okay? All right. So not in any particular order, but I'm just going to share you some methods 
of healing. Okay? So the first one that I'm going to share with you is, if you're taking notes, you can write this down. Number one is demand. Demand? Really? Demand healing? That seems a pretty bold thing to say, right? Demand. Let's look at John chapter 14, verses 12 through 14. John 14, 12 through 14. Say amen when you get there. All right. John chapter 14, verse 12. It says, Most assuredly, I say to you, He who believes in me, the works that I do, he will do also. And greater works than these he will do, because I go to my Father. And whatever you ask in my name, that I will do, that the Father may be glorified in the Son. If you ask anything in my name, I will do it. And that's pretty straightforward right there. But I want you to notice, that's not prayer. That's not prayer. There's no prayer in that. Okay? The Greek word, here we go, Keith. The Greek word for that little word, ask. That's what we're going to start with. That word literally means demand. It means to demand something. Okay? And basically what you're doing is you are demanding something of the devil or something that is yours in the name of Jesus. You're making a demand on a promise that's already there. Okay? Now, there was a a Greek scholar. His name was P.C. Nelson. How many of you have read some P.C. Nelson? P.C. Nelson was probably the greatest Greek scholar since Greek was an actual spoken language. P.C. Nelson could speak something like 30 languages and and he would study his Bible in Greek on purpose because he was just that good. And he says that there are, there are phrases in the Greek that we don't have in English. Yeah, it, it, there, there's nothing that lines up or expresses it exactly the way it does in the Greek. And so it takes some explanation to say something in English that might be just one or two words in Greek. Okay? And so he had studied out the whole Bible, really. And here's, here's what he says that this verse actually says. When it says, if you ask anything in my name, I will do it. That's what it says in English. By the way, I will do it is as strong as we can say it in English. I mean, there's nothing any stronger than saying, I will do it. It's not, I, I might do it. I could do it. Maybe later, I will do it means I will do it. That's as strong as it gets. But in the Greek, it says this. If you demand anything in my name, if I don't have it, I'll make it for you. If I don't have it, I'll make it for you. That's the way it's expressed in the Greek. If you demand anything in my... This is Jesus saying, if you demand anything in my name, if I don't have it, I'm going to make it for you. Amen? Alright, let's look at Acts chapter 3, verse 1. Acts 3, verse 1. 
It says, Now Peter and John went up together into the temple at the hour of prayer, and there was a certain man, lame from his mother's womb, was carried, whom they laid there daily at the gate of the temple, which is called Beautiful. All right, so there's this lame man. They carry him out there every single day. They lay him down there. He, can't, he, he was born lame. He can't walk, never has walked. And they lay him out there so that he can ask alms of those who enter into the temple. So he's, he's begging. He's asking for a handout. Okay? And he, seeing Peter and John about to go into the temple, he asked for them an alm. He, he asked them for a donation, basically. And Peter, fastening his eyes upon him with John, said... Look on us. So they're walking by. This guy's begging and, and catches Peter's attention. Peter with John, they stare at the guy and they say, Look here. Look at us. Look at us. And so he gave heed unto them. That means he looked at them, expecting to receive something from them. So I imagine he was expecting them to give him a coin or some alm, okay? And Peter said, he said this to him, silver and gold have I none, but such as I have, give I to thee. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise up and walk. And then he took him by the right hand and lifted him up, and immediately his feet and his ankle bones received strength, And he, leaping up, stood and walked and entered with them into the temple, walking and leaping and praising God. Amen? Now, did Peter and John pray? Did they stop and pray? Did they do any prayer? No. All they did was respond to this man's physical need with what? The name of Jesus a demand in the name of Jesus. We've talked about the name of Jesus before, right? I know you guys, some of you guys have been here. We can spend some time talking about the name of Jesus and the power in that name again. But what I need you to know right now is there is power in the name of Jesus. There is power in the name of Jesus. There's power. There's authority in that name. Okay? Demons respond to that name. Your spirit responds to that name. Your flesh responds to that name. Okay? When you apply the name, a response happens. And Jesus said, when you use His name, it's just as if He's standing right there. In person. When you use His name, it's just as if He is there with you. Because He is. Okay? And so it is scriptural to demand something, in particular healing, in the name of Jesus. So don't be wimpy. When you're, when you're talking about healing, don't be wimpy and just say, well, if it's your will, God, you know, if you... You want no, it, it's scriptural for you to demand something that is a promise to you. You're not demanding something of God. 
Now, don't misunderstand. You are demanding that your flesh line up. You're demanding evil spirits to line up. Why? What gives you that right? Name of Jesus. The name of Jesus. The name of Jesus. Okay? Now, you've got to understand. Using the name of Jesus is not some magic trick. Okay? You can't toss his name around like candy. It doesn't work that way. You've got to attach your faith to his name. You've got to attach his name to your faith. Okay, if you're just throwing his name out there on a whim and saying, I'm going to just, I don't know, I'm going to see if this works, then there's no faith. Okay? When Peter told that man to stand up and walk, he knew some stuff. Peter knew some truth. He didn't just, let's, hey, John, let's go over there and just see what we can do with the name of Jesus over here on this man. It might work. Maybe let's just go try it out. No, he knew something. He knew some truths. Here's what he knew. He knew that God wanted that man to be healed. How do you know that? Because God wants everybody to be healed. It's His will. Alright? Another thing he knew. He knew that Jesus had given him the power or the authority to use His name. He didn't, well, I don't know if I can use Jesus' name or not, but I, I'm, I'm going to try it out. No, he, he knew he had authority to use the name of Jesus. He knew it. He knew, Peter knew in his heart that he had faith for this man's healing. Maybe that man didn't know Jesus, but Peter knew him, and he knew he had faith enough to go over there and that man would be healed. Amen? He knew when he spoke the words of faith that God's power would respond. Peter knew when he spoke faith-filled words, God's power would connect. He knew it. He knew it. And here's the biggest thing. He didn't doubt. He did it with, it with no doubt. He did not doubt. This is very important. He did not doubt. Okay? So don't be trying to throw Jesus' name around like it's some magic spell. Okay? Apply... Jesus' name to your faith. Apply your faith to Jesus' name. Amen? Y'all got that one? Alright, so number one is demand. Or what we say, ask. But what really means demand. Okay? Alright, number two. We're talking about methods of healing. The number two method is prayer. Now, I just said that demand is not prayer. But prayer is another method. But here's the thing. There's three different ways of praying. I'm going to share all three of them with you. So prayer is a method of healing, but there's three different prayers that you can use. All right? Number one for prayer is pray for yourself. Pray for your own self. Let's turn to James. James chapter 5, verse 13. James 5, 13. It says this. Is any among you afflicted? 
or sick? Is anybody among you afflicted? Let him pray. Huh. Let him pray. Who's him? The guy? The person? That's sick? Says any among you afflicted? Let him pray. Him who? Him, the one that's afflicted. When a person knows for himself, this is important. When a person knows for himself the word and the promises of God, when you know for yourself what's yours, you don't have to wait for somebody to pray for you. You don't have to go seek out the preacher. You don't have to wait till Sunday to get here to go down to the altar and ask for some. You don't have to wait. When you know what's yours, it says, let him pray. You can pray for your own self. Your, your faith. Okay? Anything from a hangnail all the way to cancer or whatever's worse than that. There's no limit. It doesn't say, well, pray for yourself if it's not quite bad enough. It didn't say that. It said, is any afflicted? Let him pray. All right? You have the right. You have the authority to pray for yourself. Matter of fact, you have the responsibility to pray for yourself. You're responsible for your own self. Okay? All right, here's another way that you can pray. Number one was pray for yourself. Number two, pray for one another. Pray for one another. Look at James, skip down to 15. James chapter 5, verse 15, uh, 16. James five sixteen says, Confess your faults one to another and what? Pray one for another that ye may be healed. And the effectual fervent prayer of a righteous man availeth much. It says, pray one for another that ye may be healed. So, who is one another? When it's talking about pray one for another, who is that? Just the preacher? No. That's me praying for you, you praying for him, him praying for her, she prays for him. That We're one another. No special title. No degree. You don't have to have a uh, go to Ramah to be able to pray for one another. Just one another. Pray for one another. It is scriptural to ask other believers to pray for you. It's okay to ask for prayer. Okay? But here's where we miss it. But don't miss it now. There's some people who get dependent on other people praying for them. Every little ailment that comes along... They go find, please pray for me. Every, everything. They're asking somebody to pray for them. It seems like every day. And instead of growing in their own faith, they rely on somebody else's faith. And then they wonder why healing quits working for them. You got that? They get in this cycle of sick, healed, sick, healed, because other people's faith is helping them through, 
And then eventually it just quits working because they just are not doing anything for themselves. They're just relying on other people. And that, that'll, that'll work for a while. It's like a child. A, a parent has authority over a child to a certain point. They can pray for that child to be healed, be protected, to be... Lo- but at some point, what happens? child grows up and they got to take responsibility for themselves. Now that doesn't mean that child as an adult doesn't come home every now and then and say, Dad, Mom, I need some help with something. Because we need to pray for one another. But don't be dependent on one another. But it is scriptural to pray for one another. And we need to be able to ask people, you know, pray for me. I need some support. I'm praying for myself, but I really would appreciate you guys praying for me too. Does that make sense? Alright, it is God's will that we pray for one another. Alright? Now here's the third prayer. Three, three ways of praying. Here's number three. Number three is get the elders and the oil. Now you guys have heard me say elders and the oil like every, sun, every Wednesday night. I keep taunting you with the elders and the oil, right? All right, here we go. Let's look again at James 5, and right in the middle there, 14 and 15. James 5, 14 and 15. It says, Is any sick among you? Let him call for the elders of the church, and let them pray over him, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer of faith shall save the sick, and the Lord shall raise him up. And if he's committed any sin, they shall be forgiven him. All right, now listen closely. Sometimes a person develops a sickness or a condition that is so overwhelming, they they don't know what to do. They are completely overwhelmed with this thing. Or maybe they're unconscious. Okay? If you study the Greek, again, here we go back to the Greek. If you study the Greek translation for this particular verse, here's what it literally says. If there is any sick among you beyond helping themselves... Where it says, is there any sick among you? That, that phrase in the Greek right there says, if there's any sick among you who are beyond helping themselves. Okay? There are times, there are conditions where you are exhausted and your faith is weak. Alright? And you need the support of mature, faith-filled elders to stand in agreement with you. That is scriptural. Alright? But even so, even so, watch this. Let's just say that you are in that condition and that Pastor Allen and I pray with you and anoint you with oil and pray a prayer of healing over you. Let's just say that's where you are. Even so, look at verse 15 again. You cannot miss this. 
It says, and the prayer of faith shall save the sick. It says, and the prayer of faith shall save the sick. It is not the elders and the oil that has magic in it that's going to make you healed. Did you hear me? People chasing the elders and the oil. Please anoint me with oil. And it says the prayer of faith is what shall save the sick. The elders and the oil are just a point of contact from mature believers. You are, you are connecting with... When you, when you seek elders to pray for you, you're connecting with people that have a faith that's, a, that's much stronger built than yours. More developed. There you go. Okay, and so the elders and the oil are just a point of contact for you to release your faith and for them to release their faith on your behalf. There's no magic in the oil. But it is scriptural. Okay? So remember that. Alright. So we've got demand. And then we've got three kinds of prayer. You guys got that? Alright, the third way is... Who can guess it? Laying on of hands. Good job, Miriam. Laying on of hands... Laying on of hands is basically the most frequently used method in the New Testament. You'll see it all over. Okay? Let's read Mark 16, 17, and 18. Mark 16, verses 17 and 18. You guys know this. We quote this all the time. Mark 16, 17 and 18. It says, And these signs shall follow them that what? Believe in my name, they shall cast out devils, they shall speak with new tongues, they shall take up serpents, and if they drink any deadly thing, it shall not hurt them, and they shall lay hands on the sick, and they shall recover. Alright, so where did this whole laying on of hands come from? Because we sure don't want to turn it into some religious tradition. So where did it come from? I'm going to take you back to Leviticus, way back to the Old Testament. You can turn there or I'll read it to you, but it's Leviticus 16, 21, 22. This is, this is going way back. It says, Aaron shall lay both his hands on the head of the live goat and confess over it all the iniquities of the children of Israel and all their transgressions concerning all their sins and putting them all on the head of the goat, and then shall send it away into the wilderness by the hand of a suitable man, and the goat shall bear on itself all of their iniquities to an uninhabited land, and he shall release the goat in the wilderness. Okay? So, in the Old Testament, the priest would lay his hands on the goat, and the, the sins of the people would be transferred onto this goat. That sounds kind of weird, doesn't it? It was a transfer of sin. Okay? Now, again, let's look in Deuteronomy 34.9. Deuteronomy 34.9. 
It says, now Joshua, the son of Nun, was full of the spirit of wisdom. Because Moses had laid his hands on them, on him. And so the children of Israel heeded him and did as the Lord commanded Moses. Joshua was full of wisdom because Moses laid hands on him and transferred his wisdom over to Joshua. He anointed him. That's right. So what, I'm, what I want you to see is that the laying on of hands is a transfer. It's a transfer that takes place. It's always been to impart something or to transfer something from one to another. Okay? When Paul arrived in Ephesus, he placed his hands on the believers and the Holy Spirit came upon them. You can read that in Acts 19.6. Acts 19.6 talks about when Paul laid hands on people and the Holy Spirit was anointed over them. Okay? In 2 Timothy 1.6, Paul told Timothy, stir up the gifts that have been imparted to him by laying on of hands. Okay? Jesus ministered healing Many times throughout the Gospels, always reaching out, touching someone, laying hands on people. Many times. Let's look at Mark 1, 40 and 41. Let's just look at one. Mark 1, 40 and 41. It says, Then a leper came to him, came to Jesus, imploring him, kneeling down to him and saying, if you're willing, you can make me clean. And Jesus moved with compassion, put out his hand and touched him and said, I'm willing, be clean. He touched him. He touched a man with leprosy. And leprosy was super contagious, right? But Jesus touched him. He transferred healing to him. Jesus touched Jairus' daughter. Jesus touched that man that was... Deaf and mute, he stuck his finger in his ear and then he touched his tongue. He touched people. Put his hands on people. Now remember, laying on of hands is not some tradition. So don't just go around laying hands on people because, I don't know, I don't even know why. You got to do it in faith. When you lay hands on someone, you lay hands on them in faith. Okay? And it's important to understand that there is a real and tangible impartation through the laying on of hands. When you lay hands on someone for healing or for any other purpose, there's some things that happen. Two things happen. Number one, it's a point of contact where you and the other person join and release your faith. Okay, when, when, when Pastor Allen lays hands on someone, it's a point of contact to initiate their faith and for him to release his faith. You understand that? And the second thing is that the anointing, God's power, transfers, flows from you to them. 
And the anointing is real. It's tangible. You can sense it. You can feel it. It's, it has substance. Okay, it's not magic. It's not fairy dust. It is, it's, it's real. It's, it's sensitive. That's right. Okay? And when someone lays hands on you for healing, you have to receive that. Your faith receives it. I've heard Brother Hagen and others say, when he would lay hands on someone, he'd feel that anointing go out of his hand. And then that person would reject it, and he'd feel it come back. Now maybe they didn't say, I don't want to be healed. But something in their spirit rejected that. They didn't, their, their faith didn't line up. They, they had doubt. And, and they couldn't receive what was theirs. Okay? So when you lay hands on someone or someone lays hands on you, be receptive. Be aware of God's power working through and in you. All right? Y'all got that one? All right. Number four. And this is one I was telling you that uh, at the beginning. They all require your faith except for one. Let's talk about this one, and we're going to talk about it about this much because we could talk about it for, I don't know, ever, forever. We're just going to scrape the top of the iceberg tonight, okay? This method is what is called the gifts of healing. The gifts of healing. And that's with an S, gifts. Actually, in the Greek it says gifts of healings. It's a double plural. All right, let's read 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verses 8 through 10. 1 Corinthians 12, 8 through 10. For to one is given by the Spirit the word of wisdom, to another the word of knowledge by the same Spirit, to another faith by the same Spirit, to another the gifts of healing by the same Spirit, to another the working of miracles, to another prophecy, to another discerning of spirits, to another diverse kinds of tongues, and to another the interpretation of tongues. All right. Spiritual gifts. Gifts of the Spirit. Okay, there is a huge amount of teaching to be done right there. And maybe that's going to be our next series or something. Because I think it's time for us to get on it. Don't you guys? Okay? But just for tonight, I'm just going to scrape the top of the gifts of healing. Since we're talking about healing. Which is one, <clears throat> excuse me, one of the nine gifts of the Spirit. Spiritual gifts. Okay? Sometimes, God will move by His own will to supernaturally heal someone. By His own will. Now, sometimes we mistakenly call these miracles. I've heard people say, you know, 
Miracles happened at church or at that revival or whatever. Miracles. It's not a, it's not, this is not a method that the preacher can call up. Okay, this is not something that Pastor Allen can say, I think today we're going to move in the gift of, uh, the gifts of healing. So, you know, and then pray and say, Father, send your gifts of healing and we'll just get everybody healed. It doesn't work that way. It does not work that way. Pastor can't call up the gifts of healing at his own whim. It does not work that way. Okay? It is a manifestation that comes as the Father wills. As God wills. Alright? And... Yeah, they happen sometimes when the preacher is preaching on something like that and the people are engaged and they're, they're expecting and they're yielded to the Spirit of God, then those things sometimes will happen. What we call a miracle, what we call the gift, the gift of healing will happen. They are not always in operation though. Okay? I've been in a service before where a minister would just... There might be a thousand people in there. And he would just look at one person and say, the Spirit of God says, if you'll do so-and-so, if you'll come up here, uh, I'm going to lay hands on you and, you know, that growth that you've got there will disappear. For no apparent reason, out of a thousand people, the Spirit of God will move on one person. Have you seen that happen? You see a line of people in wheelchairs and one of them get up and be healed and the other ones don't receive their healing that way. They might receive their healing another way, but the gift of healing might just, for no apparent reason. Have you ever seen that happen? Okay? And the big question is, well... Why didn't God just heal everybody that way? Why didn't He just do ever do all of that? Just do it for everybody. Okay? There's some answer, but the biggest answer is we don't know. Because His ways and His thoughts are higher than ours. He can see more than we can see. He knows more than we know. Right? And... He's not withholding healing from you just because you don't get it that way. He's given us all the other ways to receive our healing. Alright? Now there's a lot to learn about the gifts of the Spirit. In particular, the gift of healing. But here's one reason why we might not see more of that. Because the Word of God says to desire those gifts. To desire. It says desire the gifts. And how much desiring are we doing? Here's another big thing. Paul was the one that wrote that scripture that says, hey, uh, I think it was the church at um, Ephesians. Hey, Ephesians church, desire the gifts. He didn't write a letter to just Austin And say, hey, Austin, desire the gifts. And if you desire the gifts, then the gifts are going to manifest for the whole church. That's not what he said. 
He said, hey, Corinthian church or Ephesus church. He, he wrote the letter to the whole church. Not to just one person. Now, each of us have to desire it as a whole. But our church needs to be desiring these gifts. The church, Compass Church, needs to be desiring the gifts to manifest. We got to want them. The Holy Spirit ain't going to bust the door down and come in here and drop the gifts on us just out of the clear blue. We got to desire those things. Do you hear me? We got to desire tongues, interpretation, all of the gifts. We got to desire them. And we can't desire something we don't know about. So we got to know about them. So maybe that's why the gift of healing, the gifts of healing don't manifest as much as like when I was a kid, I saw a lot of that. Not so much anymore. I don't think we're desiring it. And, and frankly, I don't think we've been teaching it. Okay? So, got off on a tangent there for just a minute. But I think we need to get to a place where we're desiring the gifts of the Spirit. Learn about them and then desire them. And then begin to move and act. Yield, in other words. Okay? Now, I want to mention one more thing. And this is something that, that might hinder people in understanding, you know, their, their understanding of healing. People get confused about healing and miracles. Healing and miracles. Okay, it's important for us to understand. I think we were talking about that a week or so ago with Nick. And it, it kind of prompted me to remember to tell you guys Healing is a renewal or recovery, a restoration, in other words. So if, if, I, if, if I tore that chair apart right there and put new upholstery on it, I've, I've restored it. It's still the same chair. But a miracle would be if another chair just popped up right there beside it. Okay, a miracle is, is more of the creative order. Does that make sense? So a healing is a restorative thing. A miracle is something that's created or something that shouldn't be. Yeah. 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 Actually, Jesus used healing and miracles as signs and wonders, now that you mention that. You know why? As an advertisement for the gospel. He didn't do it to show his... He didn't do signs and wonders to show how... What a deity he is. He didn't need people to, to look at him like some god. He did it to advertise the gospel. Did you know if healing happens, people come a-running? If a... If a miracle happens, people come. And so Jesus used healings and miracles as an advertisement for the gospel. Alright? And so things like Jesus walking on the water or turning water into wine, right? 
or feeding 5,000 people with just whatever it was, two fish and five loaves. That's a miracle. Like that, he created something out of nothing. Or he, he did something that was completely impossible in the natural. All right? And those are miracles. But sometimes healing, what looks like healing to us, is a miracle. And sometimes what we call a miracle is a healing. So like, if a leg grows back when it got cut off, that's a miracle. All right? Or like um, when in the Garden of Gethsemane and, and the, the, who was it that cut off the soldier's ear? And then Jesus went over there and touched it and the ear grew back. He didn't pick up the ear and sew it back on. He just touched it and the ear grew back. Miracle. Okay? Someone is born with a birth defect and then that thing suddenly just creates something maybe they their brain is recreated i don't that's miracles but if someone was in an accident they walk through a healing process okay they're being restored they're being put back together in other words that's healing okay so the big thing is to remember this when you have when you walk into a place of healing, let's just say you had hands laid on you and you receive your healing. And we've talked about how sometimes it comes instantly and sometimes it takes a little time. Most times it takes a little time. It's a process to walk that out. The thing to do is don't turn off the switch of faith during the process. Don't I told you a couple weeks ago, don't give up. That's the giving up that people do. Don't turn your faith switch off. Because if you turn it off, then the healing power quits flowing. And the recovery stops. Let God's power continue to work and do its job. To, to, to reach its goal. All right? Are y'all good? You got those?